I'm about to share a message with you that I really don't want to give. How's that for a start? I have been wrestling with the Holy Spirit for two weeks over this message. Um, Obviously, I'm going to share it. The Holy Spirit has led me to share this. I do not want to quench the Spirit, but in many ways, I do not want to give it. Let me me explain. Um, I get the opportunity to um, preach a few times a year, and um, I certainly don't mind preaching. Um, this is the last Sunday of the year. I think the last three or four years I preached the last Sunday of the year, uh, which is fine. But the last Sunday is just a unique Sunday. I mean, it just is for many reasons. Uh, we just finished the Christmas series uh, last week. Uh, next week we'll start a new series on faith that will take us through Easter. Uh, so it's one Sunday, and so I have to pick one topic that I hope and pray would edify you and, and speak to the heart. What do you do? I mean, a lot of prayer went into this, and I came up with prayer. Why not speak on prayer? Um, It's the new year. Um, We're getting ready, what, in 12 hours to kick off a new year, which means we'll kick off a new church governance. We'll have a huge emphasis on discipleship, and we're reaching the community. Let's pray. Let's have an emphasis on prayer. So I started working on prayer. I worked a a sermon outline on prayer. I was meditating on a number of different scriptures. Then this guy, Bill Walker, sent me a link. He said, why don't you read this? And uh, you might want to, you know, uh, look at it for your sermon. And uh, so I pulled up the link. It's from a guy by the name of uh, uh, Greg Morse. And he's from DesiringGod.org. And he wrote this article called How Not to Stay Lukewarm. Well, I'm not going to read the entire article to you, but let me just read the first two paragraphs, and you'll start to understand why I'm wrestling. This um, This is Greg Morse. This is what he's saying about himself. I thought I was a Christian for years. I swore I had a relationship with God. I believed I could die at any moment and be welcomed into heaven. I wasn't. I didn't. I wouldn't. I did not have a category for someone thinking they were a follower of Christ and not actually being one. I assumed that if, any, if I had any desire to be a Christian, God should welcome me with shouts of joy. I had never read that there would be people on Judgment Day who would emphatically greet Jesus, calling him Lord, Lord, and yet be rejected by him, Matthew 7. No one ever told me that people could do a lot of mighty works for God and yet still be lost. I convinced myself that I was safe from the wrath of God. No one told me that the lukewarm Christian gets spit out of God's mouth, Revelation 3.16. No one informed me that if God was not first in my heart, I was either in urgent need of repentance or I was lost. In the words of Francis Chan, I was lukewarm and loving it. Well, 
the article obviously is based on this passage of scripture you see in front of you, Revelation 3, 15, 16, which says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither cold or neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Wow. After reading this article several times and meditating on that scripture verse, my first, second, and third thought was, there's no way I'm preaching on this passage of scripture the last Sunday of the year. There's just no way. It's not what I want to do because I want to preach something that's fun and edifying and fun, you know? But not this. I said, there's just no way. And by the way, Pastor Bill did not tell me to preach this. Um, he just said, hey, look at it and do with it as you please. And I did. I threw it away. I did. I, I, I threw it away. But I couldn't get this article and I couldn't get this passage of Scripture out of my mind for two days. I, 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 I thought about it day and night. I wrestled over it. I tossed and turned at night. I actually said, I made a comment to Courtney. I said, what do you think? And she said, well, it's Scripture. So, well, thank you, but I'm still wrestling over it. It is a very, very difficult passage of Scripture. You know, I, uh, I love Francis Chan. I read a lot of Francis Chan stuff. So I came across another article by Chan, and he titled it, There's No Such Thing as a Lukewarm Christian. I mean, so three days later, I read that article. I'm thinking, all right, you know. I either need to listen to the Holy Spirit or just stop reading, <laughs> you know? Um, but obviously, the last thing I want to do is to quench the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Spirit is leading me to share this portion of Scripture, and it's a very sobering portion of Scripture. And I pray, I pray that I would do justice to it. So would you allow me to pray one more time? Please bow with me. Lord God, I, I recognize that this pulpit is not mine, but it is yours. So the voice and the word should be as well. So let nothing here be said that does not begin with the gospel of your son and end in life conforming to your will. Lord Jesus, please speak to me that I may speak for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This scripture, this verse, comes out of the letter to the Laodicea church. The Laodicea church. Allow me to share some context with this scripture verse. In the book of Revelation, the last book, and by the way, if you have your Bible, go to the last book. If you want to use one of our Bibles, please just pull it under the chair and go to page 1030. Uh, you will get to that scripture verse. So in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John addressed seven churches in seven different cities in the Roman province of Asia, now known as Western Turkey. Okay. Now, uh, <clears throat> of course, the church of Laodicea being one of those seven churches. It was actually the last church that John wrote to. And, and, and these, these literal churches were threatened by false teaching. False teaching. So Jesus sent his revelation to John so John could build that church up and deal with the false teaching to resist the schemes of the devil. 
the false teaching was horrendous at that time. So obviously these, these letters were written at that time to build up those seven churches. But there's also spiritual significance for us today looking at these seven churches. And I see a little bit of the American church in all of these letters. But personally, I believe the American church looks like the church of Laodicea. And I will get to that uh, in a moment. So each letter is different. But each letter does have some similarities. For example, in each letter to the church, it's Christ declared that he knows their works. Each one includes a promise to those who overcome, and each one gives an exhortation to those hearing. But what I find most fascinating, or maybe most troubling, is that Jesus gave accommodation to every single church but the church of Laodicea. He also gave a rebuke to uh, two of the seven churches. But the church of Laodicea has the gruesome distinction of being the only church that Christ has nothing good to say about it. Now, what do we know about Laodicea? It was a very, very wealthy city. Um, it had a rich banking center. It had a very strong textile industry. Um, they were wealthy. They were, well, they were self-sufficient. They didn't need anyone's help. They were good on their own. They were prideful, but they had it all. They had it all. But 60 AD, that earthquake that destroyed the entire city. But because they were so prideful and so self-sufficient, they actually refused help from the Roman Empire to rebuild their city. They didn't need anyone's help. They had it all. Well, almost. They're lacking one really important natural resource. Water. Laodicea did not have their own water supply. They had to get their water piped in through aqueducts. So water would be piped in from like six miles north that would come into this city. And the water, of course, would be piped as really cool, refreshing water. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm and full of sediment. Now I'm telling you, cool water is refreshing to drink. But lukewarm water full of sediment is not. And Jesus tells the Laodicean church that they are just like their water. Disgusting. Whoa. It says, because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You can rest assured that the people of Laodicea got the message when Jesus used that phrase. You are neither cold nor hot. Because the church had fallen as low as a church could fall and still be called a church. They had no feeling about anything one way or the other. They were lukewarm. Let's face it. I mean, hot serves a purpose, right? It's soothing. Cold serves a purpose. It's refreshing. But for the most part, lukewarm is just disappointing or actually disgusting. I had an interesting um, illustration to share that happened to me this past summer. A um, little bit about Dennis. I don't drink hot beverages. If I'm really, really, really sick, I'll drink a, a, a cup of hot tea. I've never tasted coffee in my entire life. I haven't. I know. And that's 10 years in the Navy. Still, I've never tasted coffee. My beverage of choice is a Coke from McDonald's. It is. I, I, don't judge me, all right? All right? It is. And, you know, quite frankly, and Courtney can attest to this, my wife can, 
I get a large drink every single morning. And this past summer, it's either late July, early August, a really, really hot day. I stopped, got my drink. I was driving to the office, and I received a call from our accountants in La Plata saying, could you drop by? So I drove to La Plata thinking I would be in the office five, ten minutes, got out, left my drink there, spent two hours in the office. I came out, not thinking, got into my hot truck, took a sip, it was disgusting. I couldn't get my car door open and fast enough to spit it out. Right? I mean, it was just disgusting. And have you ever seen someone or read about someone whose actions or lack of action, action actually disgusted you, just made you sick? This is what Jesus is saying about this church. Jesus is saying that nothing is more disappointing, nothing is more disgusting to him than a half-hearted, lukewarm, casual, mediocre Christian. He will spit you out. The phrase is actually translated projectile vomiting. That's what Jesus thinks of lukewarm Christians. That is a strong rebuke, is it not? That, that, that is strong. Do you see why I'm struggling over this message? This is strong and heady stuff. Now, look, for the time being, I am going to use the term lukewarm Christian, but I will address that shortly. But the question I want to pose to you this morning is this Are you a lukewarm Christian? Right. Um, several years ago, Francis Chan. Um, wrote several characteristics of a lukewarm Christian. And we're going to look at these in a moment. And we're going to look at them very quickly. There's quite a few of them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. But I want you to look at these things. And I want you to, do, I want you to examine your life. Because over the last two weeks, I've looked at these things. And I've been examining my own life. And it's been difficult. All right? So I'm not here to judge. But a disclaimer, okay? I just want you to examine your life. This is December 31st. This is a time of year where this is what we do, right? We're all checking our fitness. We're all thinking about joining the spa or the gym. We're all looking at our finances for 2018. I'm asking you today, this morning, to do a spiritual temperature check, okay? Just check your spiritual temperature. Just examine yourself. That's all I'm asking you to do. Second disclaimer. You're not going to like this. (laughs) Okay? I didn't. Okay, so these are some, some characteristics of a lukewarm church. Ready? Lukewarm people attend church fairly regularly. It is what is expected of them, what they believe good Christians should do. That's a key word there, expected. Right? Expected. You know... In Isaiah 29, 13, we read, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. I love the songs Courtney picked out. It's about the heart. You're here because of your heart for the Lord. I'm going through these quickly, guys. Lukewarm people give money to charity and to the church as long as it doesn't impinge on their standard of living. If they have a little extra and it is easy and safe to give, they do so. After all, God loves a cheerful giver, right? Well, I can tell you this is one of those that I've been wrestling with. 
right? I'm going to brag on my wife for a moment. My wife, Kathy, is the most generous human being I have ever met. She'll, she'll, she'll give you everything. And the difference between uh, Kathy and I, I, I'm good with her generosity. She sees needs. I tend to walk past them, you know? She sees them. But we've been looking at our giving, uh, not, not, not to the church, but the giving in general. And we've come to the conclusion we give out of our abundance, not out of our poverty. So God, God, God is kind of working on our hearts. In Luke 21, uh, 1 through 4, it, it's, a, it's a story you all know very well. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Now, look, this is not a stewardship message. I am not asking you to give everything you have. But this is what been, I've been wrestling with and my wife and I are wrestling with. We give out of our abundance. We don't give out of our poverty. Lukewarm people tend to choose what is popular over what is right when they are in conflict. They desire to fit in both at church and outside of church. They care more about what people think of their actions than what God thinks of their heart and lives. Do you act the same way in church as you do in the workplace? I mean, do you act one way here and another way when you leave church? People need to see Jesus Christ through us. And it's not easy. It's not hard. I mean, it's hard. But they need to see Christ through us. We need to be consistent. Lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of sin. They don't genuinely hate sin and aren't truly sorry for it. They are merely sorry because God is going to punish them. Lukewarm people don't really believe that this new life Jesus offers is better than the old sinful one. Now, the Apostle Paul writes in uh, Romans 6, 1 and 2, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? God hates sin. Do you? Do you? Um, Wow, a long time ago, maybe 12, 13 years ago, uh, my wife and I with another couple started an outside small group. And we just wanted to um, invite people who we thought didn't have a relationship with Christ or just really weren't walking with the Lord. So we just invited a ton of couples, and we had 14 couples uh, show up. And they just happened to be Catholic. All of them were Catholic, which was kind of cool because I'm a former Catholic, and I have, an absolute, I have a love for Catholics. And so for years, as a matter of fact, we're still meeting with some of these folks today. It's really kind of neat. Um, we always agreed to disagree, but we always had a great relationship. But one night, this woman looked at me, and she pointed at me and said, You Protestants, you think all you have to do is pray a prayer and you're good. You never talk about repentance or sin. And I said, wow. 
if we're coming across like that, I apologize. You might be right. You might be right. I don't think we talk about sin enough. And sometimes we, we, we feel like we get this get out of jail card, free card, you know, and, and we just pray a prayer and we're good. Yet Jesus tells us to repent. You know, I don't think we take sin seriously. God hates sin. Do you? Lukewarm people are moved by stories of people who do radical things for Christ, yet they do not act. They assume such action is for extreme Christians, not average ones. Lukewarm people call radical what Jesus expected of all his followers. Radical for one person is different for, um, for another. I, I, I look at Matt and Caroline Edlin, and man, what they're doing is radical, you know? And I am so thankful they're called to go overseas because I really don't want to go over there, you know? But I hope that I would if God called me to do it. But God did call me to come out of the federal government and serve here. That may seem radical to you. Or maybe God's just calling you to join the First Impressions team. Amen. You know? Amen. All right? <laughs> You can pay me later, later, Blair. <laughs> Radical is different. But, you know, we have to kind of get out of our comfort zone a little bit and, and be stretched. Okay? We can't sit in the sidelines and expect other people to do, quote, unquote, radical things. Lukewarm people rarely share their faith with their neighbors, coworkers, or friends. They do not want to be rejected, nor do they want to make people uncomfortable by talking about private issues like religion. I get it. Sharing your faith is hard. Nobody wants to be rejected. I, I, I think it's one of the hardest things uh, you can do. I, I've been trained to share my faith, and it's still difficult. But I look at it this way. We may be the only Jesus people see. And if they don't hear from us, who do they hear from? Right? And someone shared with you. Look at the consequences if someone doesn't hear and doesn't know Christ. You're either going to spend eternity with Christ or eternity separated from Christ. Do you understand that? This should resonate in our hearts. This should resonate with us. I know it's difficult, but look at the consequences. Lukewarm people gauge their morality or goodness by comparing themselves to the secular world. Wrong standard, by the way. All right? They feel satisfied that while they aren't as hardcore for Jesus as so-and-so, they are nowhere as horrible as the guy down the street. Well, in Luke 18, verse 11 and 12, we read, The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God! I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And yet, Jesus had the harshest words for the Pharisees. Right? Are you a Pharisee? Jesus had harsh words for the Pharisees. They were legalistic. Lukewarm people say they love Jesus, and he is indeed a part of their lives, their money, and their thoughts. But he isn't allowed to control their lives. Who's controlling your life? Is it money? Is it things? 
or is it God? I've shared my testimony many, many years ago. Um, my wife and I, um, for many years, struggled with this, this, this thing called money. We did. We just really struggled with uh, this whole tithing thing, you know. It, you know, we, we didn't, it just didn't make sense. And because my wife and I are organized people, and, you know, we just need to see everything on paper, we weren't trusting in God. We were trusting in our spreadsheets. And it took us a long time to step out in faith and allow God to control our life. You know what? God has blessed us. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It's faith. Lukewarm people love God. But they do not love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They would be quick to assure you that they try to love God that much, but that sort of total devotion isn't really possible for the average person. It's only for pastors, elders, or, 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 or missionaries. Wow. Matthew 22, 37 says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Bottom line. God is first. Who do you love? God. You love God first. Lukewarm people love others, but do not seek to love others as much as they love themselves. Their love for others is typically focused on those who love them in return, like family, friends, and other people they know and connect with. There is little love left over for those who cannot love them back, and much less time for those who intentionally slight them. Their love is highly conditional and very selective and generally comes with strings attached. Wow. It's easy to love people like ourselves. It is. It's easy to like people. It's easy to love people who, who, who like you. Not so with those who do not. In Matthew 5.43 says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Pastor Thornley, um, who was the founding pastor of this church, used to tell us all the time, you know, if you have an issue with someone, first thing you need to do is pray for them. He says, pray for your enemies. Why? It changes your heart. It is easy to pray for those you like. But it's hard when someone has slighted you or, or if someone has offended you. Yes, you need to go to them. But maybe the first thing you need to do is to pray for them. This is tough stuff, isn't it? Lukewarm people, lukewarm people will serve God and others, but there are limits to how far they will go. Okay, or how much time, money, or energy they are willing to give. Yet again, the scriptures tell us that we are to go the extra mile. Not always easy. Not always convenient. 
Lukewarm people think about life on earth much more often than eternity in heaven. Daily life is mostly focused on today's to-do list, this week's schedule, and maybe next month's vacation. Rarely, if ever, do they intently consider life to come. One of my favorite verses, it's actually one of my favorite um, books is Philippians. Philippians 3, 18 says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But listen. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a great reward. We're going to be with Jesus one day. I don't know about you, but this gets me through the hard days. And yes, I do think of eternity a lot. Now, I'm not ready to leave my family and, and my spiritual family here. But you know what? If God... I'm out of here this afternoon. I'm with Jesus, and I'm good with that. And I just, if I happen to go this afternoon, and if you come to my funeral, would you please pray for Kathy? But would you rejoice for me? Because I'm telling you, I'm good. I'm good. But you know, we should look forward to this. We should look forward to it. There's nothing wrong with looking forward to it. This is not, I'm not a citizenship here, citizen here. This is not, this is a temporary home. Life is like a vapor. It's going to be over just like that. But eternity with God is forever. How cool is that? Here's another one that I, I, I'm kind of wrestling with in my own life. Lukewarm people are thankful for the luxuries and comforts and rarely consider trying to give as much as possible to the poor. Um, by nature, um, my wife and I, um, we're... We're very thankful. We're very thankful. God, God has blessed me abundantly. He really has. And I, I, I give thanks all the time. But what's getting me is giving as much as possible to the poor. I am not suggesting we gave everything, but giving as much as possible. Um, I'm not there yet. I'm just not there yet. And I need to work on that. And I'm wrestling through that. Because you know what? It's all God's anyway. Right? I don't own anything. It's all his. Lukewarm people do whatever is necessary to keep themselves from feeling too guilty. They want to do the bare minimum to be good enough without requiring too much of them. I call that an attitude. Okay? I mean, I, I, look, I just think you should always go the extra mile. It should be a mindset of doing whatever you can, uh, whether it's serving God or serving people. You know, it, it's an attitude, you know? I'm going to move on. We're running out of time here. Lukewarm people are continually concerned with playing it safe. They are slaves to the God of control. And this focus on safe living keeps them from sacrificing and risking for God. I think the American church, we play it safe. You know, the churches that are really grown in the world are the persecuted church. You know, I, mean, I know at times I play it safe. 
You know, I, 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 just, I just need to sometimes step out in faith. You know, one of my jobs at this church as the executive pastor is to kind of oversee the budget. And I put the budget together every year, and I, and I work with our finance committee. And of course, when you're putting a budget together, you're looking at trends. You're looking at expenses and, and income. And I think that's wise to do that, right? Because, you know, you want to put a budget that is reasonable. But what I have to remind the finance committee every year, okay, this makes sense. We need to step out in faith a little bit. All right? What can God do? All right? Let's stop playing it safe. And we kind of did this this past year, and God has blessed us immensely. All right, last one. Lukewarm people do not live by faith. Their lives are structured so they never have to. They don't have to trust God if something unexpected happens. Why? Because they have their savings account. They don't need God to help them because they have their retirement plan in place. They don't genuinely seek out what life God would have them live. They have life figured and mapped out already. They don't depend. There's a key word. They don't depend on God on a daily basis. Let's face it, their refrigerators are full, and for the most part, they're in good health. And this is frightening. The truth is this. Their lives wouldn't look much different if they suddenly stopped believing in God. Look, hear me. Hear me. I am not suggesting that having a savings account is bad or a retirement plan. You should. That's just being a good steward of your resources. But are you trusting in your retirement plan, or are you trusting in God. We're playing it too safe, my friends. We are. If I dare go on, I think you get the point. This is really hard stuff, is it not? I'm telling you, I have been wrestling over this, and I'm still personally wrestling over these characteristics that Chan wrote. And I keep reminding myself over and over that the letter that John wrote to the church of Laodicea, he wrote to the church, he wrote to believers. He didn't write this to unbelievers. He wrote it to us. He wrote this to us. So the question is this. Are so-called lukewarm Christians saved? Verse 17 says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says he will spit you out of his mouth because you're lukewarm. And I just do not see that as a description for a believer. I just don't. I don't see Christ spitting a believer out of his mouth. Do you understand why I am really struggling and wrestling with this scripture? I was kind of kidding when I opened up my sermon saying I don't want to give this message. I, I really want to give it because I think it's important. The Holy Spirit's leading me. I'm going to take a moment, and I'm going to finish very, very quickly. But I want to share my heart. I'm really going to open up and share my heart why I believe this message needs to be shared today. 10, 11 years ago, there was a gentleman who came to church 
every Sunday. I mean, practically every Sunday. He was a regular. He actually sat in the back row to my right. He was there every single Sunday. Um, I believe he was a member of our church. Uh, I, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know how much he gave, but I knew he was a regular giver. And uh, he became sick. And he was put in a nursing home. And uh, I don't know, sometime later, I received a phone call saying, he has maybe a week to live. And uh, Bill Holt and I drove down to Lexington Park uh, to his nursing home uh, with the idea of we're just going to pray for him. We're going to read some scripture and just encourage him because, you know, he's going to be in glory in, in a week or so. As we were sharing with him, red flags started to pop up. And it's like, and Bill and I were, you know, almost like not talking, but we're understanding each other like, I don't think he's saved. I don't think he's saved. And so both Bill and I have been trained, uh, EE, evangelism explosion. So we asked those two diagnostic, diagnostic questions, you know, hey, if you were to die, do you know for sure if you're going to heaven? He wasn't sure. So I asked him, well, if you were to die tonight, and God said to you, why should he let you into heaven? This is what he said to me. I've gone to church all my life, and I'm a giver. Folks, listen. This guy, when I came to the church in 1995, he was already here. This man had been in this church for over 20 years. And if you know Pastor Thornley, he was very much like Pastor Walker. The gospel message was preached over and over and over. And for 20 years, he heard the message in this church, and he didn't know Christ. Do you understand that? He did not know Christ. This is why John's writing to the church in Laodicea. He's writing to us. And I said, how could this be? How could a man sit in church and hear the gospel over and over and not trust in Jesus Christ? Well, Bill and I shared the gospel message. He prayed a prayer of salvation, and I prayed that he was sincere because two weeks later, I did his funeral. And I believe with all my heart that God had me there for a reason because he wanted me to see that. He made it very clear to me, never ever assume that someone has a saving faith in Christ. And please, please, I don't want you to think that I'm saying I'm saved and you're not. I'm just saying I'm never, ever going to assume. My, uh, my mentor, uh, I've been meeting with Dr. Gerald Small for 13, 14 years. Um, he's always given me books to read. Uh, several years ago, we read this book called The Great Evangelical Recession. And this author made a comment that just startled me. And he said, it was his opinion, that in America, between 7 and 9% of the population were truly born-again believers. Did you get that? 7 to 9%. And since that time, I've heard other authors, other uh, pastors pretty much say the same thing. Matter of fact, I know one local pastor um, made a comment and preached on this that he believed less than 15% of the people in Southern Maryland are saved. I don't know how you know that, but I do know this. I think the scripture will support that. In Matthew 7, 13, we read, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, realizing that God truly knows who's saved, I get that. But the scriptures support those estimates. That it's, whatever it is, 10, 15%, it doesn't matter. It's horrible. 
One out of ten really know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, please, I am going to close. I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart and soul. I, I, I do. I do my best to make the Lord number one in my life. He is the most important thing in my life. He is. I fail miserably at it, but he's number one. I'll be real honest here. Number two is my family. I love my wife. I love my daughters. I love my sons-in-laws. I love my grandkids. love my parents, my, my, my blood family. Second, they're the most important thing. And right next to them is my spiritual family here. Yes, I love the church, but I love this body of believers. I've been here for 23 years. I work, I live here. I love the people in this church. You're the most important people in the world to me. And just the thought of one day being in glory and not having one of you with me is unbearable. Now, please, I am not suggesting that I'm saved and you're not. All I am asking you to do is examine your life. Because I saw a man who spent 20 years in this church and he didn't know Christ. How can that be? But it was. But it was. Now, look. Jesus did not have anything good to say to the church in Laodicea, but he still loved that church. This is what he said. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be jealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, he with me. And what's really interesting about that is the illustration of eating. That denotes a personal relationship. You eat with people who you have a relationship with. Jesus just doesn't want you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. That's why he knocks at the door, and we just have to open the door and to trust him completely with our lives. My friends, in 11 and a half hours, it will be a new year. In 2018, we're going to celebrate many births. We're going to celebrate weddings in here. We're going to celebrate birthdays. We're going to celebrate a lot of things. We're also going to have funerals here as well. It's reality. It's reality. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Maybe you know the Lord. I'm not trying to beat you up. Maybe you know the Lord, but maybe you have a child who's not walking with the Lord. Even though he's baptized or something years ago. All right, would you let us know so we can pray for your children? Or maybe 10 of these things <laughs> resonate with you and, and, you're, and you're questioning your own salvation. Please, please, please don't enter 2018 without knowing, without knowing. Please see me. See one of the leaders here. See Courtney. Um, there's some, uh, Steve Salvas, I believe, is here. Do not walk away today without knowing for sure that you have eternal life. Fair enough? I'm done. Let me pray. <sighs> Father, this has not been an easy message to give, nor has this been an easy message to hear and receive. But we are your disciples, Lord, your priests, and the priesthood of all who believe. Father, I just pray that you would bless this church. 
Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who isn't 100% sure, they would not leave this building without knowing. You desire that no one should perish. Lord Jesus, thank you for your incredible love. Lord, finish this message in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have a great 2018.